Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. So last week we talked about Jesus and the adulterous woman who is brought to him to try to trap him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were sitting here going, how is it that we can show that this man is a false prophet by what we think he is being a false prophet? So they they devised a gotcha scenario. They were like, all right, we're going to get this guy. And then Jesus overcame them and their own hypocrisy and their own not following the law of Moses with just a simple... Okay, fine. He who is without sin casts the first stone. And they were all like, oh. And then they all went away. And then they basically Jesus said, go and sin no more. And basically forgave the adulteress, almost uh, foreshadowing, even while the law of Moses was actually still in effect during that time, he was foreshadowing the new covenant right there. So that was last week. This week we're going to talk about where Jesus talks about how he is the light of the world. This is going to be in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. And that's all we're going to talk about today, but it's still a rather meaty topic. The entirety of the Bible is just nothing but just super duper heavy meat. The milk of the word is just a simple fact that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And by thereby having faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you can have eternal life because you can't live the perfect uh, nature of the law. You can't do any of that. Jesus only was able to do it. He did the heavy lifting, right? So that's the milk of the word, so to speak. We're getting into the real deep meat of the word. And I just thank God so much for just giving us his word that in Daniel chapter nine, one of the things that would be accomplished by the 77s prophecy is that both Prophet and vision would be sealed up. And I believe with all my heart that that was a prophecy about the finished work of the Bible. That is one of the most popular books in all of the world. As a matter of fact, it's been said, I don't know how true it still is, but it's been said that the best-selling book every single year is the Bible. Okay, And there are 8 billion people on the planet, so hopefully... We're getting enough Bibles out there for everybody to see. But interestingly enough, I'm sitting here recording this podcast utilizing a Bible online called BibleGateway.com. Now, granted, these may be restricted from in various countries and whatnot, um, like China, Pakistan, India. You may not necessarily have access to these websites and whatnot. But the mere fact that the Bible is online is just so telling. At any rate... We'll get back to the topic at hand, and that is how Jesus is indeed the light of the world and how in the world he could even say this. So we'll just go ahead and jump right in. In verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So already this is weird. And actually, to give it even more context, I'll read the next verse in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from nor where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So, a lot of stuff to unpack there. So we're gonna we're gonna start a little bit in the old, old testament. 
I'll jump back to the New Testament and then jump back into the Old Testament because obviously this isn't going to be convincing to anybody if we don't see that this is prophecy beforehand, if we don't see that this is all determined in the mind of God well in advance, right? And he told us about it. He wrote it down for us. And the people of Jesus' day totally missed it because they had preconceived notions about what Messiah would be. Messiah be, meaning uh, Christ or anointed one, right? So in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was with was, excuse me, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Okay? That's going to give us the context for the next verse that I want to talk about and why Jesus could say quite literally that he is the light of the world, not only that he created the light that is in the world, but he is the light that basically shines truth in the darkness because he's about the only one that was coming along and doing any of this kind of teaching. And that's exactly why the people were so just enamored and enthralled with Jesus, because it's like, this is a guy who doesn't teach like anybody else. He doesn't teach like the Pharisees and Sadducees. He teaches as one with authority because Jesus could say stuff like in Matthew uh, chapter five, that says, you know, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, do not look at a woman with lustful intent. Otherwise, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Nobody ever heard a teaching like that before because the Old Testament really didn't go into the deeper meaning and wanting to get at the heart and root of sin. In uh, Genesis uh, chapter 4, I believe, uh, whenever God was talking to Cain after he had, uh, or right before he killed Abel, he was basically saying, Sin is at the door, but you must master it. Basically, you must not let it overcome you, right? But Humanity was replete with bad examples where basically we were overcome by sin. I think the most famous example in all of the Old Testament is probably David and Bathsheba. King David, who was touted to be a man after God's own heart, saw a beautiful woman. At that point, apparently they bathed on roof, rooftops, and the king obviously probably had the tallest structure in all of Jerusalem, saw this woman and said, basically, go get this woman for me. The king's guards obviously probably knew exactly what the word of God said, but then was totally like, okay. And basically he took Bathsheba as his own, and then God struck the child as per the law. If the two were not caught in the act of adultery, as we learned last week, there is a death penalty for that. If the two weren't caught in the act of adultery, but there was a, a fruit of that adultery, meaning a pregnancy, an unlawful pregnancy, then that pregnancy was to be terminated, which most modern-day abortionists say, see, abortion is good and well, and God even condones it. It's only those caught in the act of adultery, and that was to keep the seed of adultery from going any further. God is the judge, right? He is the one who can take life. He is the one that can create life. People who have kids and whatnot aren't the originators of that life. They're simply the ones by whom the life comes, right? They're the mechanism of how life begins. They're not actually the life beginning, okay? Kind of an off topic there, but at any rate, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who actually speaks, well, to, to borrow a, 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 a phrase from some people, he speaks truth to power. And that's very much true. Jesus could speak the world into existence. And here's how I know that. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, 
It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean he was the first one born. It means preeminence. It was a Hebrew idiom, meaning that he was the preeminent one over all the creation. In verse 16, uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Obviously, Christians are very familiar with the idea of the Trinity, right? That basically God is three in one. There is only one God, the God Yahweh, the one who revealed himself to Moses, but even in the Old Testament, you see examples, say even in the book of Genesis, whenever God had promised a child to Abraham and Sarah. And then I believe that uh, Sarah was like, you know, this God is taking forever to fulfill his promise. Hey, why don't we fulfill God's promise through our own plan? Abraham, go to my hand, handmaiden Hagar and go and have sex with her. We'll have the child through her and God's promise will be fulfilled that way. Basically, it turned out to be a, just a terrible deal, and it didn't really work out for him, and Sarah sent Hagar away, right? But the angel of the Lord came to Hagar and spoke as God himself. That would be, if God is singular, then that would be blasphemy. Or if he is plural, such as the Hebrew word for God, Elohim, suggests plurality. Okay, it doesn't mean there are many gods at all. It means there is one God existing eternally as three persons. This is probably best illustrated in pop culture by, say, The Matrix, where the agents, the very first Matrix movie, where the agents are basically acting as one mind, right? They're all of one accord. They're acting in concert with one another. They're of one intelligence, but they're multiple persons. That's probably the best example of the Trinity that there is. So that's why the Apostle Paul would put it this way, is that Jesus was the one that actually was the creating force in Genesis 1, where it said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. But is it prophecy that the Messiah would be divine? It could it be that there is some factor of divinity within the Christ, within the coming anointed one. In Daniel chapter 7, in verse 13, it said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This cannot be talking about King David. Okay, because he receives an eternal kingdom and he approaches the Ancient of Days. Moses himself was probably touted to be one of the most righteous people that ever walked on planet Earth. Although he himself was a murderer, he killed one of the Egyptians to try to save the life of another Hebrew. But in, in all actuality, he didn't necessarily have to kill him. He could have used his, his authority, having been raised in Pharaoh's house to stop that killing, but instead he decided to kill the Egyptians. So Moses was in essence a murderer, right? He was touted to be, though, one of the most righteous people in all of Hebrew history. God even said to him, no man can see my face and live, right? He said, I'll show you my glory, as Moses was asking, but you can only see my back, for no man can see my face and live. However, we have here in Daniel chapter 7, he, one like a son of man, basically one that was in the appearance of a man, and came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
this is some this is something more than a man. That's why it says one like a son of man. It doesn't say and a son of man came to the ancient of days. One like a son of man came before the ancient of days. That suggests that he is eternal in nature, okay? And is one of the prophecies about Messiah. I'm going to show you another prophecy uh, about Messiah in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which would um, further corroborate from Genesis 49.10, whenever um, um, uh, Isaac, uh, um, or Israel was rather, uh, blessing all of his children, he came to Judah and said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In Micah 5.2, it affirms this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. That is an idiom, a Hebrew idiom, for he is eternal. He is not just some mere human being that decided to come upon and appoint himself ruler over all Israel. Is somebody who actually is divine in um, Isaiah chapter 9 it says for unto in verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He shall be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. Yet it says that he will rule on the throne of David. So clearly, and, and I'm going to give you exact context what this means. In First Chronicles 17, in verse 11, it says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers. So this is a prophet Nathan talking to King David. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish my throne forever. I will be to him a father, and a son be to, I'm sorry, and he shall be to me as a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who is before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. This is a divine person. This is a divine creature, if you will. Um, I, I Actually, I'm, I'm not going to say divine creature because a creature was created. But this is going to be a divine ruler. This is one whose comings was from ancient of days. This is somebody who is eternal in nature. So whenever Jesus is sitting here talking about he is the light of the world, he is indeed 100% literally the light of the world. He created the light that is in the world, and he is the light of the world in that he preaches the truth, and he has the authority to do so because he's God. Okay. So in verse 17 of John chapter 8, it says, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So we've already established Jesus is divine. There is a trinity. There is plurality within the Godhead. There is only one God, but there is plurality within that divine person. Okay. Um, in verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither, you know, neither him nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The reason why it says is that his hour had not yet come is because there is a divinely appointed time when Jesus was to be put to death. That time had not come yet. So even though he's basically putting himself on the level of God earlier in the book of John, when he calls God his father, they understood plainly what he was saying. He was saying that he and the father were one. Like if I, me and my dad, if 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 I go to my dad's house and maybe maybe my dad and my mother are both gone and I'm there in my, my parents' house and somebody comes to the house, I have the authority to speak for my dad, right? Because I am his son. Now, it would have been different if Jesus had said something of the nature of um, our father. You know, God is our father and our Lord and our God, right? Um, the context meaning would mean he fathered us all, he created us all. But the way Jesus is talking about it, I am the I and the Father are one. What human being would say that? I mean, if he had not been doing any miraculous works, I think everybody would have just, you know, blown him off as just some lunatic who had no idea what he was talking about. He was on the level, I believe C.S. Lewis said, of a poached egg. You know, he'd be like, I'm God. It's like I could say something like that, and everybody would look at me and go, Hey, disciple, you're out of your mind. And they would be right in saying that because I have nothing to back it up. Jesus was performing miraculous works and he was saying he was God in the flesh. So he had absolutely every right to reinterpret the law or I should say to tell them what the spirit of the law actually meant. This is what it was meant to do. Law enforcement officers of our current day do exactly that or are supposed to. They're supposed to sit there and go, well, this is what the law says, and this is what I believe the legislatures, wherever they were, whichever laws we're talking about, this is what I think they were trying to do when they enacted this law. They were endeavoring to hold uphold the spirit of the law. Jesus is going beyond that and saying, hey, it said do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. Because a lot of people would say, well, I'm righteous because I never commit adultery. Yet your eyes are feasting on every single woman that passes by. Okay, so that's what Jesus was saying. And he, this is why he has the authority to do and say what he has said. He said, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. If he is God, he has the right to say that. Not only that, he's right and he will be right. And the thing of it is, the way that he is made to come unto the Father, he has already done. He has already established. It's not about following a whole bunch of rules. It's about having a trust in what Jesus did for you and what he did on the cross and by raising from the dead. And how you can appropriate that to your life right now, I want to tell you about the next segment coming up here in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says 
that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.